Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey little podadoodles. I was going to say podcats and I just thought, nope, I have always, always say that. And also, um, it would kind of, well, it would feel a little heavy to me today to say podcasts because I know those of you who are regular, regular company to me here, when I often talk about my cats and uh, the numbers are dwindling, guys. So back in November, we had to say goodbye to Kaniki and his sister from the same letter, Rizzo. I just... I just returned from the vet now with an empty cat basket because I just said goodbye to her. She was nearly 18. She was, she led a really good life, but this last year has not been great for Rizzo. Very confused. Um, a lot of not great behaviour that I don't think she had any control over. And we ambled along and tried various things and it became quite obvious that Actually, what was happening was a deterioration, and I'm sure there are pet owners out there that will be familiar with that journey, but oh my goodness. The thing of going to the vet and having a say whether they're around or not is quite heavy. My chest feels a bit heavy. But in a nice contrast, this week's chat with my guest is not heavy. It's actually really good fun, so... I'm in the mood for a bit of a giggle, something, a bit of something to brighten my day again, please. And what could be better than a super smart, brilliant comedian ventriloquist? I know. So this week's guest is Nina Conti, who is someone, if I'm honest with you, I wanted to ask right at the beginning of doing the podcasts, but I didn't know Nina. I'd never met her. I've seen her live and I followed her on Twitter and I saw that she followed me and I was a bit shy. So after plucking out the courage of, you know, taking just a mere 18 months to get to that point, I sent her a little message saying, you don't have to, but I'd really like to talk to you if you'd be up to that. And lo and behold, she said yes, which was a glory, glorious thing. So Nina came over and we just had a really good chat. She's super smart. Honestly, if you get the opportunity to see her live, go for it. Um, because Nina will do this thing where her 
puppet, so most often monkey, but sometimes not monkey. Sometimes uh, she'll get a member of the audience and put a mask on them, or it might be a different character. She can have a conversation where she's the puppet, another person, like, chatting back, and her being her as a sort of three-way conversation. And it's incredible to behold, really amazing. Um, Just a little bit of context for our conversation. The day that Nina came over was my second eldest, Kit's birthday, his 13th birthday. And while I was talking to Nina, I when I'm at home, I sit in my sitting room chatting to people where I have quite a good view of this little tiny window next to our front door where I can just see a shadowy figure as people arrive at the front door, which means that if I'm chatting to someone, I can usually see if someone's just about to ring the doorbell or someone's coming home. I'm always thinking, oh, please don't make a big noise because I'm in the middle of chatting to someone and we're recording it. And this time, as I was talking to Nina, I saw a familiar silhouette through the window of my son, Kit, the birthday boy, but he'd come home from school early and that was not the plan. He was supposed to be at school for the whole day. So I think I referenced that in our conversation. So that's what that's to do with. It all ended up okay, but it was a bit of a surprise to see the little chap. Uh, We did manage to pull back a good birthday, but it did introduce a little bit of tension in that morning. Uh, (laughs) And what else is going on? Well, today, not only is my traumatic trip to the vet, but I've also been battling the elements because we're in the grip of a storm today in London town. It's red alert, but actually, I think it's calming down now. It's not been too bad. It's been a bit breezy. There's a tree down in the park opposite. That's about it. Anyway... Let's have a bit of a giggle, shall we, with Nina? I could really do with it. I need a little bit of a lift, please. Something to make me happy. Uh, It's what Rizzo would want. She'd want me to have something to make me happy again, I think. Oh, it's heavy being a pet owner sometimes. But sometimes it's just great. And talking to Nina was great. So I'm going to do that now and listen to that. And yeah, I think it's a cup of tea o'clock. All right, see you on the other side, my lovelies. Thank you very much for coming over today, Nina. And um, we've already been talking a lot about, well, about decor, because you said my house is not a million miles away from your It's lovely. It's what my house would would like to be. Yeah, it's lovely. I tidied up for you, though, so. Did you? (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) You should have seen it this morning. But we're surrounded by lots of, well, I said, I was telling you, I didn't realise I was collecting dolls until someone said, when did you start collecting them? And then I turned around and I realised I've actually got loads of freaky dolls and I'm, Pretty sure the kids are going to tell me when they're older that they're actually scared of a lot of the things I own. In fact, yeah. I did have to get rid of a couple. There was one that I found at a car boot that was a it was a clown that when you turned the little music thing, its head would sort of rotate as it played a very oh, that's twi- a very spooky rotation. It you was just very did. yeah, it was yeah. a spooky clown, and that one just it, it couldn't stay in the house. It's like a hexagonal yeah clown <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's spooky. I had a well, I used to have an office. Now I kind of I don't know what it is now. More of a studio thing. But I used to have an office that had puppets hanging all over the walls, and the kids there was some playdates that were too traumatized to go in there, and then it got known as like the scary room. Are we going to go in the scary room? <laughs> So you don't have a scary room anymore? No, I've put those, I've put them away. They're under the stairs now, a lot of my puppets. That's quite scary it's too. It's quite scary. <laughs> oh, good, they're just under the stairs. <laughs> oh, that's fine then. Yeah. <laughs> Where are your lovely. mum's talking puppets? Oh, they're under the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> they hear us when we walk up and down. <laughs> yeah, freaky, freaky things. There's something about those fixed eyes, isn't there, looking nowhere. Unseeing eyes. Yes. And things Fully not around the speaking room. that should speak. They're, all my puppets should speak. You know, they're like talking ones. They've got mouths that like would open. So it just seems like, oh, God, this is going to say something. But would your kids never get you to do it for their friends when they come around? Uh, you know, I do my best. I try, but no one's having any of it. What? <laughs> if my friend's mum could make toys talk, I'd be pretty into that. There's a golden age, actually. There are some kids that love it, and they're kind of three... Three years old. Mine are much older now, so it would just be really embarrassing if I did it. But, yeah, around three and four, I think they they love it. 
Yeah, I can imagine that because they're totally open to that thing, just being that thing. And yeah. they don't think about the world outside of it. Absolutely. And also it can happen quite quickly and they don't have to have a pause of transition. It's just, oh, now that thing's talking to me. Exactly. You don't need to bother doing, like, not moving your lips or anything either. <laughs> Her kids doesn't care. It seems irrelevant. Oh, you're here? Never mind. I'm yeah. not, you know, not looking at you or talking to you. That's true. And also, um, once you're engaged with that thing talking to you, you can have a conversation you wouldn't probably have with the adult that's making the thing talk. Yeah. Different style of chat. Yeah, very different. A little bit more mischievous, maybe. Yeah. You can have an agenda that, yeah. you know, and yes, the puppet will be on your side instantly. Exactly. Because I did wonder, because your children are now the same age as my eldest and my third one, so 10 and 17. Mm. And that's an age where sometimes you have to be a bit more careful about how to how to have chats if there's something a bit more tricky to speak about. And I wondered if maybe your puppets have ever helped you with conversations with the kids if they need to open up about things. Um, yes, but the younger. Um, I think that we've probably gone past that now because my 10-year-old would be on to me and be like, Mum, why don't you just ask me yourself, do you not want to tell the monkey? <laughs> um, but uh, yes, yes, when they were young, I, I think so, I think so. Um, not directly things that were on their mind so much as you could ask them, they'd, be, they'd muse more easily on things um, and they're more likely to just talk full stop. Yeah. Not like I'm trying to uncover a little trauma or something like that, but just talking just chat yeah, yeah. um yes I, it's quite hard after school when you get a quiet one how was everything fine uh, you know and they don't yeah. want to say any more than that but I mean I didn't I didn't really bring the monkey out much with that I would bring him out or just my hand you know like a basic duck sort mm. of shape <laughs> on a long car journey when things are you know it's boring or I don't know so I did a lot of entertaining on planes and oh, trains yeah. and cars with puppets but just like any other parent parents yeah. yes yeah but your monkey uh is quite sweary so does yeah. he is he a bit more careful around the kids yeah he is but then, then they come <laughs> see the show and him say everything it's like <laughs> monkey is a little bit different but there's a wholesomeness that they carry of him when they see him on stage they still think he's their monkey oh that's really yeah. i was going to ask what yeah what their relationship is with him yeah gosh i mean you'd have to ask them it's yeah. fond i'd say yeah it's fond but um i mean the 17 year old is pretty much an adult now and so he he yeah he knows that it was part of his kid his childhood that yeah puppet. and i think it, he's kind of fond of him yeah. But they don't talk. No, that probably actually would be pushing it a bit far, wouldn't it? With your nearly 18-year-old son, like, yeah. come on, come on, you can open up to monkey. I know. Well, if they really want to, they can continue, you know, to keep him alive after my death and keep that part of mum around, you know. All they have to do is do the voice. That would be spooky. But, I mean, that's something that happens with ventriloquists. And, you know, I, I know that Lamb Chop and Sherry Lewis, La, uh, Sherry Lewis is dead, but Lamb Chop now is doing this, the act with her daughter. Oh, wow. So Lamb Chop lives on. And is it the same voice? It's the same voice, same puppet, same character, but it's a different relationship. That's interesting. Have. It's, yeah. It's a different relationship, I think. So that's something you have thought about a bit, like what monkey will represent when you're not here. When you die. Well, yeah, because yeah, I, I made a film about puppets and death and stuff so it did it occurred to me then and there are pl there's a place where ventriloquists leave their puppets when they die called vent haven so you can sort of send them to the museum but most ventriloquists have more than one so you think well i've got a few more well they go well it's gonna have one and you yeah know. yeah so when because a lot of ventriloquists well might have a, a doll that actually looks like them right it's quite common, yeah. isn't it, to have yeah, one? Yeah, I guess so, yes. I do, do you have, have one like I that? I do have an Enum one. It's like a soft style sort of Muppet one. I know, the, oh, yeah. I think I might have seen her, actually. Oh, right. Did you have her at Edinburgh? I did, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a funny act to make work, though, because you're using the same voice for the both of you, and it sort of, I found it a bit for samey. <laughs> oh, that's samey. true. Because <laughs> one thing that did blow me away when I've watched you is you make, you interact a lot with the crowd... And you'll be able to have this three-way conversation between you, Monkey, and the audience member. And you never slip up. 
How, there's, there's like so many skill sets to what you do, which is why I was so excited about speaking to you. Oh, Never you. mind the talking about kids bit. <laughs> Just because you've... The ventriloquism is its own thing. That's its own art form. And then you've got, obviously, comedy. But then this ability to, like, make your brain go into those that shape. Is it, how did you find that developed with talking to the audience with the other two voices, yours and Monkey's? Um, I find it much easier to talk to the audience... Well, I mean, I find it easy to make jokes through the puppets, I mean. but And, and so I'm just keeping it steady whilst they're doing the, the jokes... But if I think about it too much, it might break down. It, it sort yeah. of happens naturally if, I, if I'm not in the way. And it, it just happens. If I overthink, or I, Nina, try to think what monkey will say next, it slows it down. So everything just sort of has to be alive at the same time. And I don't know why that, that comes naturally to me. It, it, it does. I mean, I'd never thought I could write or... Um, or do comedy in a stand-up club or anything like that until I started doing the ventriloquism. Because it, writing in a dialogue was so much more easy than monologue. Yeah. Because if you're just talking, you have to know what you think. You have to have made a decision about what your opinions are about a certain thing. You're yeah. a person. You don't have... I mean, you can vacillate, but you still sort of feel like you should come down in, in one place. But with a puppet, it suddenly it just opens out a whole new wing. Anything could be possible. You can think ten different things at once. So I was going to ask you about, so the, the ventriloquism and comedy, they were always paired from the beginning, were they? Kind of. Well, I'd done some comedy acting. Uh, I'd done some characters. Because you trained, that was your first thing, wasn't it, as acting from school? I, I did, yes, I didn't go to drama school, but I did go to a kind of, uh, <laughs> something like a cult of a theatre group that was led by Ken Campbell, and they did, like, very weird theatre. And so I, I was pushed into playing extreme characters, and I really liked that. Mm. Um, and he was like, a, this figure in your life is a big figure in your life, Ken Yeah, Campbell. quite a big figure in my life definitely very formative and I've been quite mild up until meeting him and then I thought oh gosh I really need some of this flavor so I I stuck around him for years mm. um whilst he was trying to sort of get me out of my box and then um yeah so then all, all the character stuff I actually found a lot more liberating than being myself in the first place so the the puppets were just an extension of that I think yeah I mean I suppose I mean to me the idea of doing stand-up is like that's my sort of like quantum leap of like anxiety. The idea, like sometimes when I'm watching a comedian, I feel like if I make eye contact, I might by accident swap swap position, and I'll <laughs> find myself trying to think what the next joke is. So, what is it but about? Do you tell your joke on stage? I always feel like I have to have one. Prepa- oh yeah, no, on my yeah, but yeah. I like sort of. Uh, I think I'm quite funny, but that's probably a downfall of anyone trying to make jokes because I laugh at my own jokes. I don't know if that's allowed. Is that okay? Well, I do it, but I, I really do it, okay. but I, in the guise of laughing at the puppet. But yeah, okay, that's nice. Well, I feel like then at least you got good company in your own thoughts. Mm. And I've also always talked to myself since I was little. Is that Have something? You? Yeah. Did you always talk to yourself? Uh, I th- I'm all for it. I don't think I've done it much I would do it more now I, th- I don't know why we don't more mm. because I think it can quite help thought to pace things out and say things out loud um, but yeah people seem to be shy of it even on their own when no one's looking well it's <laughs> a horrible really feeling when someone it. spots you yeah that would be bad wouldn't it yeah but um, I've, of- I've often found it quite useful and anyway, so yeah with, when I'm doing that or when I'm on stage I can it's funny because when I started on stage I was really still and I didn't really say anything and I was really I didn't dance um, and then the, the older I've got the more the, the gap between me off stage and me on stage is pretty not very distinctive now You're right and yeah. I, f- I find that really relaxing but when I was younger that would have been mortifying yeah do you feel like that's happened with you it as well? Definitely, has happened with me. I was so mortified, mortifiable when in my twenties I was. I mean, good lord, it was as if I thought everything would go wrong if I showed a shred of personality. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? How yeah. we're so caught, caught up in that feeling. Yeah, and like you've got to have everything kind of presented in a certain way, and it's like a kind of armor. But actually, 
I think it was Catelyn Moran said that that arm is actually really hard to move around in. And once you take it off, you're like, oh, I can actually breathe a lot easier now. And things yeah, easier. Yeah, yeah, and I think it also comes with things going wrong sometimes. Because mm. the, the fear of things going wonky while you're on stage is horrible. But once you've had a couple of things screw up, you're like, oh, well, now I know how to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. And dealing with that, you'll get more fun out of dealing with it than you would if it didn't happen, I think, and everything went normally, I think. Yeah. I certainly do. I think my shows are... Uh, are just like a petri dish for accidents to happen in and that's where the comedy comes from. So I don't have a script. I just got a, a mess of possibility uh, there to happen. So, so is that just in your head? Do you write it or do you have like a set list in front of you? I don't have any set list. I don't have anything. I've got people coming up and I'm putting masks on them and then whatever they do, there's, it just generates the catastrophe. And so you're just narrating that if there was a plan if the person knew what they were going to do when they got on stage and they came up and did it I, I don't think it'd be funny I don't think it would be interesting and maybe part of you is quite stimulated by this what's, what's going to happen tonight kind of a feeling yeah definitely yes it's horrible before because you can't you can't sort of go through your lines or, or anything you have to just stay chill that's really hard it's really horrible before but once I'm on stage I love that aspect of it yeah so what happens for the last few years when you haven't been performing so much it's been strange well I did zoom gigs and I thought they'd be dreadful but I ended up kind of loving them okay that's Um, nice yeah it was quite fun it was fun seeing people's living rooms and (laughs) interact in a different way um but uh yes I did some writing and uh podcasts of my own character podcast called Richard and Greta with my partner, and uh, that was really fun. Um, so, yeah, so it's been mainly things you can do at home. I made the little like, seeds, been growing. Yeah, I made some videos from my bedroom with the monkey and put them on my YouTube channel. I really enjoyed doing those. Uh, and it was, it, it, I look insane, but <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's what people were going through. Definitely. Were going insane. Yes, I think that's true. And actually, I was listening yesterday to um, a conversation you had with Adam Buxton and he spoke a lot to you about sort of madness of, of what you do. And, yeah. and I was thinking that maybe when, you know, because obviously you and I both live in common, the sort of performance aspect. And I've, I've always felt like, I think if you inherently feel like the need to kind of get up on stage and perform in front of people, I think, I think there's something in I don't think that's a normal thing myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I yeah. feel like if you've got that, that channel, somewhere you can put that and you almost have to, Make it make it bigger to fill the stage, like whatever it is that's fueling you to kind of get up and do your thing. I think so, and I think it comes from a certain measure of social anxiety, maybe. Oh yes, I'm um, quite introverted. I think. Yeah, and it doesn't look like you are at all. It doesn't look like you are. And probably doesn't look like I am to other people. But I, I think I, I think I am. And so, doing stuff on stage is to kind of organise the world just so so that you can be otherwise. Mm. <laughs> It's it's harder. It's harder. I mean, uh, dinner parties are something that I I don't do. I don't really love. I don't, you know, I've never shone at dinner. (laughs) And I think, I mean, maybe traumatised from childhood dinner parties where I didn't speak. Um, I don't know. It sort of feels like I can speak if nobody else is speaking and everybody else is just just watching you. (laughs) And if I get to say things for other people because I've strapped masks on them so I'm the only one talking you know it's control freakery yes it's worse um the thing of being on stage I don't know the thing of wanting to be on stage is also just I fell in love with it when Mm. I was a kid when I went see certain shows I just thought that's just that looks so fun well that's funny you mentioned your your childhood because you grew up with both your parents acting is that Mm -hmm. right and they used to take you around with them when they were doing their shows, is that right? Um, yes. Well, my mum kind of my mum kind of stopped. She did little bits here and there, but she pretty much stopped when she had me. So we would travel along with my dad, and his career was always very, very busy. And so we, yeah, and I enjoyed watching it. I very much. I remember when I was five. It was probably the first time I saw him in a play, and it was called "Whose Life Is It Anyway?" And he was in a hospital bed, and um, he was playing a paraplegic it couldn't move and I I found it odd that the whole bed the whole thing was just him in bed 
He never got out of bed. You know, as a five-year-old, I was thinking, well, it's not much <laughs> going on. <laughs> <laughs> He's still talking. Nothing's happened. You know, I guess I just hadn't followed it. But I couldn't believe that this huge theatre was wrapped. You know, their attention yeah. was all on him. So I was thinking, well, this is rare. I don't know what this is, but it must have gone in quite deep. Yeah. And then afterwards, the dressing room, all that stuff and people coming around and the flowers and teddies and gifts I wanted and chocolates and things and all this sort of attention. And my dad's wearing makeup and it's all a bit like, well, this is a bit bit exciting. It's really exciting. And also very, you know, if you're an only child in that environment, it's a very adult environment as well. So you sort of Mm. feel like there's something quite zhuzhi about being part of it, but you're not really sure what role you're playing within it sometimes. Yes, a very quiet role. Mm. But you're getting, you know, chairs are pulled out for you and you're being treated like a, a little princess a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you don't, yes, you haven't worked out what to say yet. Yeah, exactly. Because, I, I mean, you, you said you were sort of quite bland. Is that the word you used? Until yeah, you had this moment with Ken Campbell and that, mm. that theatre group. But actually, firstly, I'd say that that doesn't seem possible. But secondly, maybe being around this very sort of high-octane and quite glamorous world of lots of actors and theatre and magnetism and charisma. That's quite, mm. a, that's quite a rarefied little pool of people. That's not how most people are operating. So you've kind of got these really quite big characters, presumably, all around you. Mm-hmm. My mum and dad themselves are very big characters. They don't think they are, but God, they're really formidable, both of them in their own way. Um, because, and, and as an only child, I got a lot of attention. I wasn't starved of attention. But I don't know... I don't know why it took me so long to like present any sort of personality. I was just like planning it mm. for the longest time. Well, also, I guess if you've got particularly your dad being like a household name, it's quite a big thing to then say, actually, that res- what you do for a living resonates with me as well, and I want to go there. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I went there very much on the back foot. I was really, yeah, massive chip on my shoulder as well, thinking people are going to accuse me of nepotism. I've got nothing, you know, I, I'm just... It was, I was really sort of scared. Yeah. And, but not scared enough to change my name or really try and work hard. I was thinking, well, can't I just slip in? I mean, I was thinking, can't I just, <laughs> can't I just slip into the business? Um, you have to find your own way, don't you? And you also you want a bit of mystery way. away from your parents, presumably, so that it's yeah. your set of people and your thing, so yeah, you can definitely. show them the bits that you want to show. Yeah. So in a way, ending up with the act you do has enough enough correlation that they know they've been worried about you and they get that your hours are odd and, you know, it takes you all over the place. Yeah. But it's also yours. It's you, you've done things they haven't experienced. Yes, yes, yeah. I think it's quite important to have those things that are your own. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, a lot of what you've said, I know it's on a very different scale, but growing up with my mum, she was, when she went to drama school, so I used to watch her do plays when I was really little. And I was an only child till I was eight, so it was often just me 
Yeah. And so I was like that backstage, you know, literally smell of grease paint, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Hanging out with these really exciting, very chatty, confident adults all talking to each other and being funny and witty. And it was always a bit like, ooh, and then we'd be taken out for a late supper or be yeah. watching her do a play. Although, unlike you, I actually heckled my mum when she was doing plays. I used to shout things. Really? She did Midsummer Night's Dream and had to pretend to fall asleep. And I was going, wake up, mummy! Um, this, like, <laughs> theatre in Leeds, which I've been reminded of a couple of times. But, um, and, uh, you know, and again, not, not quite as zhuzhy. Like, I know you're, you met David Bowie, didn't you, when you were small? And yeah. I just met Morton Harkett from Aha at a brunch once, but... Oh, that's very good. Yeah, it's not quite the same. <laughs> but it is how I learned the word brunch, which I thought sounded really glamorous. Like, it's brunch, that's a new mealtime. But um, I really understand that thing of having this, like, chippiness, because... When I started out and everybody was banging on about Blue Peter, I absolutely hated it. And I hated the inference that that was why the only reason I was able to do what I was doing. Yeah, it's very hard. Well, it's not that hard, but it's, you know, it's, yes, it's something it's definitely that a thing. you, uh, yeah, it inhibits you at the time, definitely. Or I, I felt like as soon as I was doing ventriloquism and I was working in sort of pubs, I was doing gigs in pubs. I was thinking, well, this can be mine. My dad's never done a gig in a pub. <laughs> there you go. I own that one. Yeah. He's, no, he can't talk without moving his lips. Um, so, yes, it did suddenly feel... And it was a lot ruder, and I tried a stint at the RSC, but I, I think I found it po-faced. I'd already been corrupted by Ken Campbell. I just wanted to do something that was a little bit more... Um, he sounds like quite an extraordinary man. Incredibly mm. sort of magnetic and... What, yeah, really he was kind charismatic. of godlike in a terrifying way, though, and unpredictable, and um, all those things. But he was and and so fiercely honest, with no filter and all that stuff. So he was very exciting Sounds to be around. A little bit like Monkey. Mm, yeah, Monkey <laughs> definitely would like to emulate that. So was Monkey directly given to you from that collection of? Puppets? No, no, no. I I found Monkey uh, funny as a puppet just he's like a city really he's not meant to be used as a ventriloquist puppet he was sold in Woolworths and I um a friend happened to have one and I I'd, I'd already thought this puppet was funny before I was a ventriloquist so I'd kind of just taken it and um yeah and it was a really nice moment to realize I was learning ventriloquism and then I thought oh I'd have to talk to this god awful mannequin I could try that monkey and then its mouth did move and I was like oh this is this is much more fun. This face I can look at. This isn't going to creep people out. Yeah, it's a nice face. It felt when more you... modern. You know, it fits in a handbag. It's lo-fi. You know. <laughs> when you say it wasn't, des- what's the difference between something that's designed as a ventriloquist one and then a puppet? Then. Well, I mean, all these sort of puppets, or they're, not, they're more dolls, I suppose, but they yeah. don't have a mouth. They don't have a mouth mechanism. No, but monkey always did, right? Uh, monkey has a squeaker behind his mouth, ah. which is a. You're not meant to put your hand up into the head of that oh. puppet. You just put the fingers on. You might put one finger. Oh, into I the see. Head, I can picture exactly and then what you mean. Put another finger up each arm, and you just make it one of those sort of ah. city ones. But he does have enough of a little sort of inlet into his mouth, so that if you, your hand is small, you can get it in, and you can just start to pinch it. But it's quite. People try him on. They they, they can barely open the mouth, but I've managed to. I've managed to work out how to get that. So you don't open. mind if people try on Monkey? I mean, I don't really love it. Cause it's, <laughs> it's enough, I'll give him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awful, actually. I don't love it. It's funny how much I don't love it. And it makes me feel like I'm being precious. But um, I always think, I wouldn't ask to do that, really. No. no if you ever trespass. And I definitely always ask first. I would never just, just go for it. Yeah. I could imagine that would be a real faux pas just please stop doing that i've let people do it on stage <laughs> occasionally um but they hang themselves pretty quickly yeah but because the audience doesn't like what they're doing and the monkey doesn't seem himself the monkey seems overtaken and yeah it's kind of uh, yeah i can't think of the word uh it's not abusive what's the word cut this it's not abusive but there's a word trespass it's an it's a total infringement mm. on mm. his on his being, because he's a complete, he's a different character. He doesn't have the right voice, and his movements suddenly seem all wonky. So everyone's like, "Oh, monkey's gone wrong." Put yeah, it yeah, down, yeah. Put it down. I like it. Yeah. So if you fast forward a bit, what was happening in your life when you had your first baby? I was at the Edinburgh Festival. I got pregnant in Edinburgh, 
uh, and found out by the... Or just before, I guess, I suppose it works out there. No, how long between you get pregnant and then you find out you're pregnant? About three it depends. weeks, is it? it? Yeah, it depends. If you're normally someone that has like really regular cycles, yeah. I think you can probably find out like four weeks. You can find out four weeks. I think so. I always thought I oh, got pregnant. There. Anyway, um, <laughs> by the end of Edinburgh, I knew I was pregnant, and I just went on stage immediately after. So I was doing like three Edinburgh shows. I'd been doing ventriloquism for about two years, and. Um, well, you said you went on stage when you just found out. So can you remember that feeling of, like, trying to work? Like, oh, Yeah, I was playing a dominatrix in Arthur Smith's show. <laughs> and uh, I can't remember what his show was. I was playing some Greek goddess, but dressed as a dominatrix. And okay. I used to have to come on stage. I had, like, a dildo strapped to me oh, and, blimey. like, a lot of leather. And, just like um, a lot of expectant mothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was, like, it was a very sharp contrast <laughs> The pregnant show, because there'd been a shift in my head, you know. <laughs> this all doesn't feel quite Just the same. Come on, dressed as a nun, like sorry, I couldn't fit into the dildo tonight. Um, it just the class broke actually, so I've improvised. I hope that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's very strange. And Edinburgh is so debauched, you know. There's so yeah. much drinking and stuff, and then suddenly it's very, very different. And I'm throwing away the pate in my fridge and pouring water into my beer bottle so that nobody's asking questions and wearing the dominatrix suit seems a bit different and <laughs> you're just looking down the barrel of that all that responsibility so it was quite a sharp shift and then um yeah I but think do you always I, want to be a mum is it something you'd always thought might happen yes I thought I always wanted to be I think I thought I always wanted to be uh, I, yeah I definitely did and my my mum had very much always said that it was kind of the most important thing and had seemed to enjoy bringing me up. And my my dad also, I think they both thought it was like a very important thing, and it is. Um, and, I, and I did want to do it desperately. From the age of 30, I just thought it has to be now. And I did it very quickly. Yeah, that's lovely when... Uh, but it's funny, isn't it, how you suddenly have those things of like, actually now is a good time. And then, yeah. and then suddenly the baby comes along and... Did you so? Did you sort of take some time off, or were you? Did you go back to your? Yeah, I took some time off. I was. Um, I mean, I was reeling at how hard it was because my mum had made it look so easy, and I was thinking, "This is not easy. This is a conspiracy. What do you do? And do you sleep? How do you know you're any good at it? Everything I felt, I was all making mistakes, all that sort of thing. And I loved this baby. Gosh, I mean, I just wanted to get everything right for him, and I was. Um, yeah, I was quite thrown by the whole thing. But certainly didn't really let myself into thinking that consciously too much. Mm. And off I went to Glastonbury when he was only a few months old and did a gig in Glastonbury. And what, you, did you take him there? Took him there. Took him in that baby Bjorn on the front and did, and then, yes, and we woke up Have in the tent. Have attempted to make him talk in the act? A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people were expecting it. Yeah, I did do a little bit with him in my belly when I was really pregnant. I did make a couple. Of, it grossed me out a bit to sort of give the baby a voice, mm. but I did do it. It seemed it seemed so needed when you watch a pregnant woman come on and she's a ventriloquist. I mean, it's like what everyone was waiting for. Was, let's hear what the baby says. Um, yeah, but I, then I so I did kind of strap him to me and off we went. But I didn't do anything that required any the long hours for the first three years. Yeah, because I've always thought that the the sort of job you have must be a lot of evenings and travel. Mm. So that's quite a different thing to have to take on, and and still does. I imagine you still have to go away. And I, mean, I say yeah. this as someone who does the same, and I think it's something I still find I feel guilty about even now. I think. Yes, I used to try and pretend I wasn't working. You know, I tried to get them sleep in time before I went to a gig. They always kind of suss, though, don't they? When you're slightly in a hurry, when you're reading a bedtime story in full makeup and hairspray, <laughs> they smell a rat. That's true. <laughs> Just felt like I'd make it special for you. <laughs> it's true. I'm dressed up for bedtime tonight. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I definitely had a guilty thing about it, and I, I have it less now because I think. The, yeah. the kids kind of enjoy that I have work and I don't know, I don't feel bad about it anymore. But and did your relationship with with comedy and with monkey and ventriloquism ever change in that time? Or did you ever think you might not go back to it? 
I I don't know. No, I think I was keen to go back to it because it was kind of on a sharp incline at the time when I had the baby and I was then I was thinking um, I've got to get back to where that was heading or it might just stop. But it was funny to, to go around. I mean, I went on tour with my husband, who is also a comedian, and so we do half each of the of the thing, and then in the interval, switch the baby, you know. Oh, wow, that's great. Backstage and all that, and uh, it was quite difficult. It's quite difficult because it's quite kind of rock and roll stand-up, and it, it, when you've got a baby there, you feel like you're not properly there. Like, we're boring people now that go home early. Yeah, like, you might be suggesting to people, like, you have a lovely time, but we're having quite a different time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, actually. Yeah, definitely. But I did wonder if it's, when it's... Because, you know, you had this sort of really pivotal experience with meeting Ken Campbell and everything, that all the concentric circles that come out of that. And then Monkey becomes part of this thing that helps you sort of grow into the next bit. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's probably like a really stupid question, but I'm wondering if there's any... Was there di- anything in the dynamic of you and Monkey that had anything to do with this sort of maternal dynamic at all? Is that so? Oh, I see. No, I, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, I mean, sorry. Yes, I think so, probably. Um, monkey could be... I don't know, or I'm an only child. So Monkey could also be, like, a sibling... Um, monkey can also be like my sort of dark side or my id or monkey can be like a sort of baby that I'm in control of but uh, you know but I don't really feel maternal towards monkey I feel like he's the one with the knowledge of life and I'm the ingenue Mm. I think he's such a mixture of things and I think that's why the character continues to evolve is because it's a complete shapeshifter and it can be anything. That's exciting. But also I've heard you say that you, Monkey almost brings things out of you and it's a place in your head that you don't, you don't really, didn't even really know that you had that. Yeah, yes. It's a, I think that's like people finding their voice, you know, on the internet and stuff. I mean, it's just like a safe place where he could say anything um and so yeah I found it very very nice I thought oh god it's such a lovely relief not to be Nina and say these other things um yes so monkey with the goading of Ken Campbell is supposed to be the voice of the uncensored thoughts and if that's been so useful how do you encourage that in your kids because I imagine you'd want to give them a similar Outlets. I want to give everyone one. I want yeah. every. I want to hand one to everyone I know, so that we can start having some proper conversations. That's a brilliant idea. <laughs> I think. I mean, I definitely. If that ever, if you ever have that group, like, can you invite me? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I mean, everybody would have to hide under the table. I think. Uh, I can't imagine what it would be, but I, I long for a conversation without without identity. Yes, I think that sounds amazing. And I, I genuinely think that would be fascinating. Yeah. Because it's not really... Obviously, there's the, the skill of what you've actually learned to do with your palette and, you know, throwing sound. But if you take that out of the equation for a second and just think about, as you say, this thing of this uncensored, faceless version of yourself where yeah. you can just sort of blank page, right, what's my response? And sometimes you... Sp- Presumably you surprise yourself sometimes with what you come out with. Yes, you do. And, I mean, I very much want to do... I I was going to do on Zoom, but the world opened up again and things have sort of changed. But I want to do a a puppet-to-puppet sort of Zoom uh, podcast or or TV thing where somebody else... You you send a puppet to someone and then it's just my monkey talking to them. So I would let you send me a puppet. I'd send you a puppet. And then I would do the voice you of my puppet. You turn up, you're, you're holding your puppet in front of the camera on Zoom and I'm... I think that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think that's genius. Because actually, um, like you were saying earlier with the little three-year-old, mm. you don't necessarily even need... Once you're in... If everything in that reality makes sense, you don't even need that person to be doing an amazing voice of 
not moving there. No, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. And if you're focusing on the puppet and not yourself, you've sort of come out with the right voice for the puppet. Puppet chooses its own voice a bit. It just won't fit if it's wrong. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about your your granddad on your mum's side. Yeah. Because as, as I understand it, one of your children has his name and he sounds he sounds like he was quite an influence as well with with the character of Monkey. Yes, the way he spoke, the rhythm of his words and everything, which was quite um, monosyllabic sometimes and sort of dry, very dry, Glaswegian. Um, he, he did influence the Monkey character. But interestingly, he really liked Monkey and he had... Um, he had a stroke or, or dementia or something. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but he, he slightly lost the plot his last years. But he would speak to the monkey very lucidly. I don't think it was as distracting as having somebody's like worried, moving human face in yours, you know, wanting to talk to you. He had much better conversations with the monkey. So I had this little dictaphone at the time and I would go and record... I've got to work out a way to play these little tapes. I've got to get them transferred. Um, but I, I would go around there with Monkey and he would talk to Monkey. God, that is absolutely extraordinary. And really beautiful, actually. But, but that must have been quite unique for you because you almost feel like you're a witness to this relationship, you know, that they had yes. shared. I, I sort of stepped out the way and just let it go. Hmm. And he called him a little bear, which shows <laughs> just quite sort of where he was. Oh, it's the little bear. Would you like a glass of Chardonnay? <laughs> and if that's, he would just instantly, he'd start talking. He didn't really, he wasn't speaking much, but then he was there, he was offering Chardonnay. He didn't have any Chardonnay, but, they, you know, it was like <laughs> good times. We've got the little bear. Let's that's talk so to lovely. Bear. That's really lovely. <laughs> and also nice it. for you because if you're close to your granddad, then it's a way, you've got something there that's really special that you, your yes. ex- exchange with him has got that thing where you've still got that connection yeah other people aren't having that experience of talking to him it was very very nice yeah and have you taught have you tried to pass this on to your kids is it something where you've have they asked about how to actually do the more technical side yes i think they both just about can do it they know the letters that you have to replace that you can't say without moving your lips and and they both can do it a bit but i think it's a relief that they're not both Queuing up to be ventriloquists. I mean, I, it, the, the, neither of them is. I'm quite, <laughs> I'm quite relieved because it would be, it would be really strange. I mean, it's such an accident that I ended up doing this. It's not something that I necessarily recommend as a career path. I would go, like go into it, go into comedy or whatever your own way. But ventriloquism. Why? What's the downside to it then? Because it sounds like quite, quite a lot of it's really good. It is good. I don't know. It doesn't work on uh, Mock the Week, for example. <laughs> oh, I so see. You can't do radio. <laughs> no. That's the downside. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you certainly come off against people thinking you wouldn't fit into certain formats. So you, it's kind of you do your own thing. And uh, that's good, actually, because you, know, yeah. you don't become complacent. You just have to keep sort of evolving. But uh, at the same time, you think, gosh be nice to have a part in something now and again, you know. Yeah, well, that, that seems like quite a small downside, actually. Yeah, it's a small downside. That's not why I don't. It's because I don't want my children to be derivatives of me. I want them to be completely their own people. Yeah. And um, doing very different stuff. So when you go somewhere and there are... Like when you went to... Did you say Benthaven? Yeah. So when you go somewhere like that and you meet other people that are involved in the same thing... Are there certain aspects of like the conversation you can have with them that are actually it's really nice because it's other people that do the same thing? Yes, it is. It's in a nerdy way. It's quite nice because you're thinking, oh, you're using like sticks to move the puppet's arms. That's quite interesting. And so, how does that work? You know, you can have that sort of technical chat in the corridors. Um, also, some some people that go there aren't really even professional. They're just doing it because they like it and. It looks as if they're happy because they're getting to do it there and they're not being mocked and it's what they enjoy. So there's a safety about it that you sort of think. Oh, every year at that convention, some hip documentary crew turns up to just completely sort of slam it and bring it down or or just one of those how, how weird America is kind of shows. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I get it. I pretty much did it myself, but I think with a bit more 
with a bit more heart about it. Definitely. I I mean, I sort of, I want to look after those guys. Yeah. Do do you feel like there's a sort of uh, type of person you meet there that you think, oh, yes, I recognise, like, to be drawn into into it? Yes, I guess there must be a common denominator, which is, um, maybe it's shyness. I don't know. That's the most broad answer I can find. Yeah, it's interesting, um, isn't it, that that's what ends up being something that actually gets you onto big platforms. I mean, even as yeah. far as... Because you did a talent show, is that right, in, yeah. in America? So that's yeah. a huge, huge platform. Yes, this is, that was a bold choice. How did your kids feel about that? Because I've done a couple of things where there's a judging panel and my kids are either fiercely protective or completely mortified by it. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't <laughs> show up to their recordings. They were there, they were in LA with me, but they didn't come. I think... Um, I think they would have been nervous. I mean, I was nervous. I was thinking, what on earth led me to do this? I'm standing <laughs> behind the curtain, about to do a seven-minute act, which you never do a seven-minute act. I'm used to doing hours or two hours with an interval. Suddenly I'm reducing everything to seven minutes. Then what, what if I go out there and I blow it and I suck and no one laughs? And it's the most humiliating, like... That's really nerve-wracking. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny, those moments, isn't it, where you're waiting to go out and you think, why, what led me <laughs> to this moment in my life? I know. Tim Vine, when we were waiting to go on, said to me backstage once, I just want to work in a bookshop. <laughs> and I, I, I always think that whenever I'm about to go on stage, I think, he's right, you know, it's just a bookshop. <laughs> yeah, because you put yourself through it and then you do it again and again. And, yeah. and actually, sometimes bucket loads of experience doesn't make it less nerve-wracking, it's weird. Yeah, because no. you always feel as good as your latest gig in your head, don't you? Well, yeah, I don't I, and and you have the day running up to it. I don't know. I mean, not always. It depends on the pressure of the gig, but I can start my feebleness from lunchtime if I've got like a big one. I have to sort of have a a careful day, you know, like an eggshells day. Not too much eggshells, but I just I'm not really able to have fun. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just even if fun things occur, I think mm, no, I won't do that. I'll wait till afterwards. It's, it's a weird state to Does be. Does it in. feel a little bit like you're packing a box with all your energy, so you can't kind of let let it out? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to expend anything. Everything feels a bit expensive of yourself. Yes, on a, on a day where you have a big show. I know, I know, and it's yeah, it's just a really weird experience. And every once in a while, you have those sort of slightly out of body ones as well, where you're just thinking, I'm here, and if I stop the whole thing is going to kind of stop yeah um but when you've had a really great show and everything's gone really well this is probably quite an odd question but I've always thought that for a lot of people who do stand up obviously you know musicians marvel at the fact that comedians will play same venues or bigger but it's just them on stage and maybe one person that's driven in there and someone to turn the lights mm. on you know it's a very small crew yeah and if you have a great show you come off and it's just you yeah but, so if when you come off stage after one of your brilliant, you know, let's say two-hour shows, do you feel you've shared that with the puppets you've used in the show? Or is it quite a... Are you still... Is it just like, OK, that was my gig? Um, well, I would be on stage with people from the audience, so I certainly would feel... And I would maybe meet them afterwards. Oh, that's nice. Um, I mean, I wouldn't go out seeking them out and hunting them down, but if I was doing, like, signing or something, they Mm. often come, and so you get to chat to them. So there's that much. And But the thing is, they're they're different people from the people I make them on the stage, so I remember a different version of them. Uh, That was me, but I don't remember it being me. So I think of, oh, the Scottish guy was funny. I might not even have been Scottish. That was just, like, (laughs) me. Um, So... Yes, this this is a slightly less lonely post show experience, but it is it is some it's very rare of a thing, isn't it, to do a big show and then just end up moments later in a hotel room on your own. Yeah, feels really weird. It's really weird, and you think, what will I do? Will I have a glass of wine and get some food? I guess so. And I know. <laughs> I remember uh, I think hearing Melanie C from the Spice Girls talk about that, and she said that they were in America and you know, doing one of those coast-to-coast tours. There were just loads of places they went. They didn't know anybody there. Mm. And so you play these big stadiums and then she would just be like back to the hotel and just, yeah, very soon afterwards, just on her own. Quite in the hotel, I know. And you think, what what, what was that? What just happened to me? It's the middle of the night and you're thinking, who can I text in Australia? I know. (laughs) And let the adrenaline, you know, wear off. 
It's just, yeah, it's quite out of body, those things, I think. Mm -hmm. You have to have your own way of calming down. Yeah, probably the glass of wine and watching something silly on telly. Or take a pal with me sometimes. <coughs> yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Because also then they can kind of get excited about things again for you and presumably not give you too much fun in the lead-up because they know you like to have your... Yeah, quiet on the train, not even talk on the train. Your calm, your calm <laughs> lead-up to it. Yeah. And so um, you, you separate, haven't you, from your little boy's dad, yeah. your children's dad, but you're, I hear you have a really good separation, which is brilliant. And I've spoken to a few women who've been through that. And how did you find the shift into being a single mum when your relationship with them? Um, well, we tag-teamed uh, the childcare a lot when we were together. So in a way, that, that just continued. Um, and uh, what was your question again? Sorry. I suppose just the shift in becoming a, a, a single mum, really. Mom. Yeah, like for my mum yeah. and I, it was a really big deal. Like, right. I think it was in a good way, actually. I think it formed the bedrock of our relationship, actually, the time that we were just... It was, it was living with her. And we had, I think, three years where it was just the two of us. Right. Well, I mean, you don't have to run your parenting decisions by anyone half the time, you know, so that um, so, so there's less controversy in every decision, so it's simpler in some ways, I suppose. Um, but the, the transition, I don't know. I mean, it's just... It's still not long ago enough, really, for me to have a proper perspective on it all. Um, I spoke to someone called Helen Thorne, and she was actually really amazed at how how much she enjoyed it actually, and having that time yeah. with her kids. She found it really exciting because yeah. um, I think it was always like something she completely couldn't even begin to imagine, and suddenly sort of felt like she kind of actually had yeah a lot more fun in that in that role than she was yes, anticipating. Yes, and you're very dedicated during the time that you have them, and then when they're with their dad, you know, then that's your adult time. So it's sort of there's just like sudden childcare in place as well. You think, huh? Yeah, you suddenly got time, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I think it's my mother was a very. She, I mean, she was very good at with kids. She's always good with kids, and it's sort of a tragedy that she didn't get to have more. But um, so I, I just learned from her kind of how to be with kids and, like, to play. She played with me so much as a child. And sort of, I think it might have been my dad that was the influence in becoming a ventriloquist, but my mum built a puppet theatre up in the loft. I remember that. And she did these fantastic accents for all the puppets. And she's so naughty, my mum. <laughs> um, so I think there's a lot more of her in me than I, than I often say. What, what, what made you think then that it was your dad? Just because he's the sort of known stage person more of the family. Um, and he has a strong sort of male voice, so I think that, you know, Monkey's sort of trying to emulate a more male voice to cut through. So maybe your material comes more out of that relationship, yeah. but the actual... This I've talent the naughtiness of you doing my mum. Yeah. yeah, my mum. <coughs> my mum's very outspoken. Um, she sounds fun too. So she, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's great fun, yeah. Well, I always ask everybody this, so maybe this would be a good... A good question to, to end on, actually. But are you the sort of mother that you thought you would be? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very... It's a good question. Um, I pictured, like, being outdoors in a sort of French villa and the chickens and breadcrumbs everywhere and, you know, there's, like, kids running around in this little free, loving way. Um, and, no, I'm way more stressed... <laughs> I'm so stressed as a mum. It's ridiculous. And I, I'm a mixture of very lenient uh, with sudden stress. Oh, so, that sounds so like, familiar. You do whatever. Oh, yeah, everybody just do that. <laughs> Get off the iPad! You're going to waste your whole life, you know, it's suddenly... <laughs> You'd have no idea how reassuring I'm finding that description. I love that. I'm sweet, exactly like me. I'm so chill. I'm so chill. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's suddenly frightening if you think that you're not doing enough or, you know, that time is passing by and they're not... Oh, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a big thing to bring humans into the world. I, I really don't know how it's done. Nobody gets it completely right, but... Um, I certainly haven't, but they're lovely kids. 
Well, that's a kids. good. That's a good place. Yeah. I think. I think once you kind of relax about the fact that, as you say, nobody gets it right. Mm-hmm. But if you have nice people that you've raised, I think that's as good as it gets, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, relate I don't to think that. they're good. They're good, nice people because of me. I think in spite of me, <laughs> I'm very glad they are. But that's the nice thing is they kind of come along and they're their own people. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm more like a. I don't know, like a pinball machine or something. Like I'm trying to, trying to help the ball go where it's supposed to go, but it's sort of going to do its own trajectory anyway, really. Kind of I'm is. Like flippers. I mean, my parents were very sold on a guy called A.S. Neal, who's sort of like an educationalist in the 70s, and he had a school that was famous uh, for worse reasons later, but at the time, you know, he, it was completely free and kids could choose to go to lessons or not and there was no punishment you know there was one kid who was a thief and he was awarded with 10 quid for doing that because you know he needs attention it's not money i don't oh, know wow. that was the kind of <laughs> that the, really is experimental yeah it was very experimental <laughs> and um and that no education shouldn't be a forced thing children naturally will want to learn so don't force it on them you put them off it you know there's, there's no way a kid won't want to learn so that was the kind of that was the ethos was this very progressive thing and but i think it can you can make a mistake with it where you just suddenly become a slave to your children because you you i don't know it could get confusing you don't want them you want them to have this happy free thing so you don't want to get in the way but i mean i think that's a mess but i've i've sort of grown up with that intention of being like i was brought up but it's too hard and then, I mean, then they walk all over you, so it's confusing and I haven't really worked it out. No, I don't think I have either. And I know, totally know what you mean because I think that's partly as well the era we're in because children now are given a lot more... We've understood the importance of them having a say, having their voice heard, yes. the emotional side of that, um, you know, including them in conversation, but at the same time... You have to parent them, sometimes make decisions they might not like. I know, and the boundaries that they're really grateful for are very important, all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm saying that on a day where I've basically, uh, yeah, had a lot of that spectrum already exploited with that. It's hard. I mean, I had a bit of, before um, the bit where Kit came home again uh, from school, <laughs> we also had a bit this morning where he got, he got his birthday presents and he was really unhappy because he'd wanted something else that was really expensive that I'd already said... You couldn't get, and that's all hard as well because you sort of swing between going. I feel I understand why you feel sad about that, but also it's hard to be sympathetic when someone wants something out of the you know, yes. it's all those things as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, growing tricky, up in the modern, modern world where technology to us is still um, a bit of a, a treat, and then for their generation, it's really not. It's just how they communicate, it's how they function, it's how the world's going. Yeah, it's hard. You're about to have an 18 year old, we both are. That's quite nice, isn't that? Yes, that's looking forward to that actually. Then. Yeah. So yeah, I'm both at the end of April. That's good. I know. I hope I've uh, I thought oh, I just hope I've taught him to um tidy up after himself and um ask other people how they are. That's <laughs> you great. Know, all that stuff. Have I'll I done that? It. Have I done enough of that? All right, good luck. <laughs> uh, I know. And actually what's their because they've got an 8 year gap, is that right? Yes. That's the same as between me and my nearest sibling. Oh, really? Yeah, I think yeah. it's quite underrated to have those nice big gaps, actually. Yeah, yeah. Do they have a nice relationship they with do. each other? Yeah, they get on well. Yeah, because they're kind of in separate zones. I think it's quite mm-hmm. healthy. Yeah. It's all good. But well done having all the other ones in between. I'm <sighs> still, like, gasping for breath. That is basically how I live, like, just gasping for breath. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that's better. Thank you, Nina. I mean, how amazing is she? And what a brilliant thing to, I don't know, carve your own path, blaze your own trail, and be a ventriloquist. I just think it's kind of awesome. And I have so many dolls. I mean, while I'm sat here talking to you now, I'm sat in um, the room that's Kit, Jesse, and Ray's bedroom, just because it's quiet. Uh, they're all downstairs and I'm looking around and I have billions of items that I could turn into good little puppets. And actually, on the evening after Nina had been round, so the evening of Kit's birthday, while I was putting to bed um, my youngest two or three, that's right, yeah, it was Ray, Jesse and Mickey, 
we were playing and we all got little soft toys and they all gave them voices and we played for quite a long time doing puppets and that was actually really good fun. So I love Nina's idea for a podcast about doing a, not a podcast, sorry, a Zoom podcast thing where people have their own alternative characters for themselves and they answer questions. I think it'd be great. I think you'd come out with all sorts of stuff if you were you but not you. Ah, anyway, I'm going to look out the window. It's still a little wild and windy, but not too bad. It's Friday evening. What should I do tonight? Do you think I should get a takeaway? Is it that kind of night? Or is it a cooking night? kind of ate out last night, so maybe tonight's a... Just get yourself something and cook it. Well, Nina, getting a takeaway. Yeah, I'm not sure I've earned it, really. Um, And I'm going to be getting a meal out tomorrow night because I'm doing a gig tomorrow night. And, oh, golly, I'm only two weeks away from the tour. Oh, golly, I'm only two weeks away from the tour. Wow, that's actually quite a big deal. I've still got quite a lot to do. Lots of songs to learn, actually, because I'm doing lots of songs I don't normally do. Well, watch this space, dot, 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 see how I get on with learning everything. In the meantime, have a lovely week. Thanks for lending me your ears. And I'll see you same time, same place next week. Lots of love. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>